Imagine living your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, in today's episode, I'm going to introduce you to somebody who actually found her dream job and is living her best life. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle, with over a million downloads and counting. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, your master certified coach and midlife mentor, and I am so glad to be here with you again. Okay, it's been a little rough around here lately. (laughs) I don't know if you can tell, my voice is still not 100% back. I finally got stupid covid And as I'm recording this, I'm on day seven, and I'm definitely getting better. I feel human again. Things are going well, but wow, did I ever entertain myself by watching The Lucy Show and The Dick Van Dyke Show. (laughs) So much fun. I was laughing out loud all over the place. I have seen I Love Lucy over the years, but I haven't gone back and watched The Lucy Show. It was an episode with Liz Taylor and... Um, what was his name? Richard Burton. And it was something. I was actually a little caught off guard with how funny it was. (laughs) And then the Dick Van Dyke show, I went down a rabbit hole with that. Hilarious. It was just so funny. Like I was sitting in the back of the house where I've been in isolation and, you know, just totally grateful to have this kind of streaming and this kind of ability to dive into those old shows. So, so good. Okay, so moving right along, I can't wait for you to hear my guest story today. She really does have her dream job, but it was never part of the plan. I love that kind of thing. And you know, you can always count on me to ask some good questions to figure out how it all happened. So curious. But just quick, I wanted to make sure you heard about the exciting new podcast that I'll be launching soon called Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs. So if you're a woman in the middle who's 50 plus and also an entrepreneur or business owner, this new podcast is especially for you. This show will be focused on what it's really like to run a business when you're over 50 and dealing with the classic midlife related obstacles and challenges, things like taking care of your aging parents, empty nest, menopause, lack of self-care and work-life balance, that sort of thing. And when all this stuff comes up, it can be harder to focus on your priorities if you even know what they are anymore, right? (laughs) So if you're interested in learning more about how to be a guest on this new show, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. There's lots more information there so you can see if you're a good fit for the new show. Okay, let me introduce you to my amazing guest today on the podcast. Ask yourself this, do you wish you had your dream job in midlife? And if you did, what would it look like? More importantly, why don't you have your dream job? My guest today is photographer Lily Sheets. Lily didn't start her career as a photographer, but photography became her dream job and led to her dream lifestyle. On a chance visit to Amelia Island in Florida, Lily found herself in awe of the beauty of the place and decided to move there almost immediately. Lily takes photos that catch the eyes off guard. I've seen her work personally, and this is absolutely true. They are beautiful. So Lily found her dream job as the creative director of the photography concierge at the Ritz-Carlton on Amelia Island in Florida. Nature shots are her passion, and over time, K 
candid shots became one of her specialties as well. She dabbles in every aspect of life to capture every memory imaginable and tries to capture things we may overlook at times. She lives and works in a place that just makes her extremely happy. It is so obvious. And I'm friends with her on Facebook because we go way back. And her work and life, it's scroll stopping. I, I'm just in awe of what's going on with her and her photography. So this interview will help you think about what you love and don't love about your job. And it just might inspire you to start to believe that your dream job is possible. Please enjoy this episode. Hi, Lily. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Women in the Middle podcast. Hi, Susie. How are you? I'm so excited to be here, finally. Uh, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited too, because you're, of course, a gal from my hood. (laughs) (laughs) A couple hoods. (laughs) And I I definitely don't mean the Toronto hood. Like we, uh, (laughs) you're a really good friend of my sister's and... Uh, we went to the same high school and come from the same part of the world in Pennsylvania. So it's super, super fun. Um, I've been watching you on Facebook for a long time since you started to make some huge changes. And it's impossible not to notice how happy you are. And I was so excited to have you on because what's unique about your story is that you are extremely happy with your life and your career and you didn't have a plan. And that's really going to frame a lot of today's interview because so many of us in midlife want a plan. Like, please wrap it up in a bow, hand it to me fully thought out and with guarantees, please. That's what I want. (laughs) Exactly. And not having, I, I think the universe did not want me to have a plan for the first time because I've had made plans in my life, through my life. I turned 55 in January, so it's a big deal to me because the last six years have been unimaginable that I never thought I'd be where I am right now. Not even where I live. Um, That was not planned. Nothing was planned. I, you know, I grew up in Lansdale with you guys, Lynn, one of my lifelong friends for the rest of my life. Your sister and I have been very close best friends since I was 16. That's a long time. That's more than half my life. It's family, your family, your sister's, your mom, Joe, everybody is, was just very, I've always been very heartfelt. We've always had a bond. We've always connected in certain ways. Um, growing up the way we did, big families. I come from a family of six. My mom raised us with no child support and no help except for friends. Um, so that gave me a lot of strength growing up. We all started working when we were younger. Um, growing up without a father, uh, probably affected me a little bit, but it also made me stronger because I watched my, how strong my mom was. So that gave me incentive and my other brothers and sisters incentive to either go to college or hands-on training corporate world. I didn't go to college, couldn't afford it. Um, I had a daughter when I was 21 who I gave up for uh, open, ad- a private adoption, uh, open meaning it is private. It's not to anybody, but you get to pick the parents who could not have kids. So that cleared a lot of a lot of stones in the you know that were thrown around that time when I was in my early early twenties where I sh- I wasn't financially stable and I did grow up without a father and I didn't want her to not have that mm. and a sign was shown to me about a couple that I didn't know but my other friends that were close to me knew that knew I was pregnant and 
they knew a couple that couldn't have kids. And I was like, you know what? That's awful. At my age of 21, I'm a hippie and I'm like, I can have a child and I can have more babies and maybe I'm supposed to do this. So I did it and I gave up a child, but she's in my life. So it doesn't matter. She's now 32. She's in my life forever. We're sisters and she calls me mama every now and then. And she will always be my little spawn. (laughs) My best friend. It's just amazing how things work out, but you, you eventually ended up in corporate and I really want to (laughs) dig into that because like you are a hippie. It doesn't seem like you'd ever want to be in corporate. Exactly. What happened? How did that all happen? Um, I needed a job. I was working at the mall and I didn't want to work at the mall anymore. And at the age of 1920, I got a job at Safeguard Systems and I was there for six years. And it went Hang on from one second. To- where, where did you work in the mall? Because I also worked in the mall. Uh, Paul Harris. <laughs> what is that? Paul Harris was a clothing store and pants place was a clothing store. I worked at both of those. Oh, that's so funny. I worked I at, I don't, I don't think it's there anymore, but it was called the Swiss, yeah. Col- the Swiss colony. I sold <laughs> cheese when I was 15. <laughs> did you wear a little outfit? I did. I had to wear the little Swiss outfit and stand in the hallway and, have, <laughs> and say, hi, would you like yeah. to try a sample? And then I worked at a yeah. place called Herder's Cutlery. Like this is from the seventies and eighties. Yeah, so that that was a knife store. So I learned a heck of a lot about knives. I think it would have been more fun selling clothes. <laughs> uh, yeah, discount clothes. I needed clothes. We were poor, um, but yeah, I I just was not didn't want to work in the mall anymore. So I was I worked at Safeguard Systems, which was like for like a general accounting position. And eventually, within six years, I was I got up to like a junior staff accountant, and I like numbers. I'm like, okay, I like numbers. Still never went to college, could never afford it. And I didn't want to have that student loan for 30 years. And, you know, I sort of climbed that ladder over the years and then over the decades and, you know, to the point where I became a a business manager and sort of like a financial liaison. Um, Took a lot of, since we went from manual to technical during the, the ages that we grew up. Yeah. That's what I was starting to teach people like Ma Pa, little corporate companies that wanted to go from manual to technical. That's what safeguard was. We were doing manual stuff heading into technical. So it was there at the right time and it just grew. And then I just, I just, I didn't job hop. I'd stay here for five, six years. I'd go here for five, six years. And then I'm like, this is only a paycheck doing photography on the side as a hobby since Oh three. Well, hang on a second. What was it like for you to realize that it was just a paycheck? Cause I wasn't happy. Yeah. You know, I, I can pay my bills for another week or I can pay my bills for another month. Now what am I going to do? And what was it like for you? Like, I'm remembering very clearly what it was like for me when I had that realization that it's, it felt like a waste of time. It was a waste of time. It was Monday through Friday, nine to five. I always had a set schedule. Then I'd make plans to go out afterwards like we all did after, you know, you go to happy hour, you go here with your friends. And I just felt like it was the same routine over and over again. And I'm not cut that way. I, I'm not. So yeah. photography was something that I was always just did for fun. And somebody gave me a, a really good camera at a young age. And then I bought a digital camera. And then I just started renting equipment when people started to ask me to shoot more. And who was it, asking you to shoot more? Like as a hobby, how did somebody even know to ask you? Exactly. Because they started to notice that I was taking pictures of people 
in nature and it was turning out really nicely. Okay. So what do you mean pictures of people in nature? What were you up to? You were still in Pennsylvania then, right? Still in PA. I was out taking pictures of deer and rabbits and, (laughs) and a tree. And, and one of my girlfriends was like, Hey, I'm getting married next year. Can you just do my wedding photos? I'm like, no, (laughs) I'm like, I love nature. I love people. But I, you know, nature is my thing. And that's my, my Zen time to go out and take pictures of nature and have landscape photography and sell prints or whatever. Um, but after I said no to her, I'm like, you know what? Are you, is it going to be outside? She goes, yeah. I said, are you going to be outside? I'll do it. And then I could put you in nature and see what I like. So it's, it's not what you want. It's what I want. <laughs> it's a little selfish. But I liked doing it. The first wedding I did in 2003, I liked it. And I'm like, hmm. I think I like this. Wow. We started just doing it on the side a little bit, but it wasn't something that I'm like, Hey, I should start a photography business. People just started asking me. So when they saw those photos, those wedding photos, other people started coming out of the woodwork. And I do have a big connection up in Pennsylvania and the Philadelphia area, even the tri-state area, because I know a lot of people. Our high school was huge. You know, we graduated with so many people and our community, community was so tight knit that everybody knew everybody. So it was easy actually for me to fall into it. And I was, I felt really blessed. I'm like, hmm, this could be something. So I started doing it on the side. Now, were, did you have a digital at that time? I did. I was transferred. I had a, I had a film and a digital in 2006 is when I got the digital 2003 up to 2006 is when I still was using a film camera. Yeah. Miss those so, dark room days. <laughs> yeah. So it's not even just that it was a film camera, but when you think about sharing your work, it's completely easy now because you can just share uh, with right. the phone, you to, right? Yeah, to put, you know, your, your film, you go get it developed. Then you go, you know, you have to go to the person's house and drop all the photos off that you printed out. And you don't have to do any of that anymore. It's so simple. And you can concentrate more on your craft. Exactly. I feel like you, you totally can. But so. even then, so you started it on the side as a hobby, not even thinking mm. of a business. And, you know, you were still enjoying regular paycheck and all that. Uh, and then when you realized, hmm, what were your thoughts about the viability of photography being a business for you? Well, in 06, when 2006 is when I started going online and looking at photography forums, which had helped me immensely. And I still am friends with these people to this day online on Facebook. Wow. They're, they're called Framily. Um, and we have our own little uh, Facebook page for us people that were met on this forum back in 06 that shut down in 09. We're like a family. And I've learned so much through these photographers. They're senior photographers. They're junior photographers. There's people that, you know, are publicized. Like they have publications out the wazoo, but they're on that forum to help you and critique you. So I had a lot of critiquing and I learned from my mistakes more than anything. So it's all about what you want to put into it. Honestly, if you feel like you even a photo that you even thought you made a mistake with, sometimes it's not a mistake and it looks and turns out beautiful. So the photography forums really helped me. I did that for several years. And then in 09, um, I got laid off from my corporate job. And I said, I'm not going back to corporate. I'm going to start photography business. At the same month I was saying this was the same month my sister passed away. Oh my suddenly. Goodness. So so 
there were a lot of signs. Um, 2009 was a big year. It was also the year that Leah and I um, started to have a physical relationship. She was 16 at the time. Wow. I'm not going back to that, but I saw Leah until she was five years old. I backed away because I didn't want her to come to me instead of her parents for certain things. And knowing that I had the privilege of knowing where my kid's growing up, that she's 20 minutes away, that she's doing the exact same thing that I did in school, like arts, crafts, singing, theater, photography, drumming, drum. She was in the marching band. You know, oh. she's in the Eagles <laughs> drum line. She's in the Eagles drum line now. She's been in the Eagles drum line for 20, since 2018. She's a photographer. She makes jewelry like I did. She's way better than I am at jewelry. <laughs> but all these little signs, like in 09, uh, I think pushed me, made me, pushed me farther to really go and, and, and try to um, make a, a successful business as a photographer. It, I think it really pushed me. It's, it was amazing. I can't, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, we talked for hours about what happened in 2009, but that was the breaking point. Wow. So uh, it was a breaking point yet. A lot of things. <laughs> you started something new. Brand new. And it, I haven't looked back since. So, I mean, I was in the middle of so many things in 09 um, with my sister's passing and Leah coming back into my life that I don't even know how I even started to start the business. I don't even remember. It was a whirlwind year. Um, and it's just from that until 2016 or 2015, I was still in Pennsylvania. It really grew. I was doing weddings every week. Um, I was getting phone calls. I still wasn't even, I don't even advertise. Like it's just a universal thing for me. And so I wake up every morning and I'm blessed that my feet hit the floor and I make sure I do good deeds every day because I feel like back then that stuff would not have happened to me. If I don't, if I'm not the person, if I don't act like the person I am, I don't, I feel like it's the universe is not going to thank me for it. I know that doesn't make sense, but it's the universal thing for me. So you, but things are going so well in Pennsylvania and you had an actual business and then uh, somehow you ended up making a big decision to move. So what inspired the big the move. move. I at the time did not know what inspired the move. I met a man who was a friend of a friend and he lived in Florida, Navarre Beach near Pensacola. Um, we we're still very good friends. Um, I went to visit him for a week. He came up to visit me for a month and I just felt like I was stuck. Business was doing good. I was still living penny to penny, but that was okay. My bills were paid. It is what it is. But I felt stuck. I felt like I am here not for just myself, if that makes any sense. I have a tendency in my whole life of putting other people before me, and I'm not used to putting myself first. So when this man came to visit me, I made my decision. I said, I'm just going to move to Florida and see what happens. And my friends were like, what? (laughs) I remember seeing it on Facebook. And I was like, what? Why are you moving all of a sudden after my 48 years of being where you have been your whole life? I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like I have to. So I moved to Navarre for about a year. Well, hang on one sec, one sec. You're you're just going with the story so quickly. And there are so many points where it's very common. Like it's very common not to put yourself first in midlife. It's very common to be afraid of change. And so when you're talking about making these changes, you're you're able to really connect 
you know, with what you want, you're connecting deeply with the feeling about not being content. And then you're managing fear. I'm assuming you were fearful. Were you afraid to um, move? I was not afraid to move. And I think it's because of my age at the age of 48. It was almost like I said, that's it. I'm doing it because I've never done that before. Right. And I was excited. I was very excited. And, and then, but I was not excited when I lived there. But anyway, the it's, I was. Change can be very exciting though. And, and change can be very exciting yeah. when you know that you're not, that you have a team behind you. That's like, yeah, go for it. Um, but I was, you know, I went through two divorces when I was in PA, two marriages, two divorces, you know, they were really hard, you know, financially. Um, I walked away from both of them. So I made it hard on myself, but it's okay because mm. why I am where I am today, everything, I feel like everything has led up to where I am in this moment. So I, I just, I was just done in Pennsylvania. I felt like I was done. Um, I felt like I was not, I was my, I had so many friends, but that was filling the void of not having a good relationship or a partner. And I didn't want that anymore. So the opportunity arose. Somebody asked me to move to Florida and I said, and I took it. Was I fear? Yeah, there was fear because you never know what's going to happen. You're moving down there to to live with a man that you do know, but you haven't lived with before. Mm -hmm. Um, That part was a little scary. Um, but I did have a lot of support. And I think because of my age of being 48 and not like 38 or 28 or 20 or, you know, that's so, that's so interesting. Cause a lot of times we interpret our age as a reason not to do something, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you saw it as a encouragement to do yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It was almost like I woke up and I said, F this. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> was it hard for you to. To like make a such a big move where you had to either sell everything or end end a lot of things because you lived That's lived in Pennsylvania your whole life. Exactly, and and people made it easy. I my half of my house is still at my girlfriend's house. Oh, it's been there. It's been there since um, let's see, it's been there for almost eight years now. <laughs> uh, after my divorce, my half of my house went to my girlfriend's house because after my divorce, I moved into a very small space. And she has a huge basement. She never goes down there. So she doesn't care. Um, so I, again, I had a lot of help to move. I had my, I had two car loads. That was it. Um, wow. Everything else I acquired through either going to thrift stores or find antique stores. And, you know, I mean, I went through two divorces where people give, gave me stuff because I walked away with nothing. Mm. So I was already used to that kind of thing. Um and I was already moving to a house in Florida that I was already furnished. And the other, yeah, it's, it wasn't a bad move. Um, my cat wasn't happy because it was a long ride, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love moving with a cat. When I moved uh, from, from university, the town from University of, uh, in Guelph, Ontario, to uh, downtown Toronto, I had a cat. And I just, it gave me such comfort to have my little friend with me for a big move. <laughs> She wasn't bad. And I, you know, and we'll talk about that in a second, but the move from Navarre to here was bad because my car broke down and she was comforting me. My oh, cat was comforting me. Yeah. Like, so she you, was so you, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so you got set up in Florida, transition one. 
Um, now, you didn't have any photography contacts at that time, correct? You really nothing. started with nothing. Nothing. And I don't think I, I might have done three shoots. I started, well, I got a job at a real estate firm as like an, an executive assistant, like a project manager, and just did that for a whole year. I didn't even concentrate on photography. Wow. Because I didn't have any, but I was still going home because I had gigs up there. So every other month I was coming home for weddings or family shoots or gatherings or anything I could. Oh, one thing I do is I at least come home anywhere between two and four times a year, which is nice because I get to see my people, my family. Yeah. That's really nice. But, but that first year in Navarre, I, I felt stuck again. Yeah. I was back in a corporate because I needed the money. Um, I did not have any photography contacts. I did some photography for the firm I worked for, um, but nothing, nothing compared to what I had up in Pennsylvania. It was, it was almost like I went backwards, but yeah, yeah that's like, what it feels like. So in a pretty place. <laughs> yeah. Pretty, yeah. prettier that, well, I know Pennsylvania yeah. can be pretty in the summer. <laughs> so <laughs> then what happened? Cause now that you recognize that feeling of stuckness and knowing that your passion uh, is photography and you're not doing it. So what was going through your mind that led to the next change? Probably by six months into living in Navarre, I'm like, why am I here? Eight months into living in Navarre um, is when my brother passed away from cancer. So I went home, I went back to Pennsylvania for 10 days and I was very distraught. I didn't make it in time to see him before he passed. I did talk to him on the phone an hour prior before he passed. So, you know, I sort of had closure, but um, I've, I was like, why did I leave my family? Mm. Why did my brother pass away? You know, and at that time, my mom started to sort of flip a little, but, you know, she was, that was her first baby out of six of us, you know, he was, he was the first born and all of our favorites. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, it was hard. And I told mom, I said, do I, I said, I'll, I'll move home. What do you want? She was, why don't you take me with you? I said, you want to move down Florida? I said, do you, do you want to do that? You know what I mean? So that was hard. We didn't do it. Um, but Navarre only lasted a year only because I, I probably, I got a call that year when I was still living in Navarre, um, that my girlfriend was getting married on Amelia Island. And I was like, where's that? She's like, that's on the East side near Georgia. I'm like, it looks like it's in Georgia. Is that Florida? Like I'd never heard of this Island before my life. I was like, yeah, of course I'll do the wedding. Blah, blah. She goes, well, it's in October. It's close. I'm like, okay, no problem. So I research, you know, I'm like, I've never heard of this Island. It's very desolate. It's apparently it's, you know, only 80,000 people live here. Um, 15 miles long. I don't know. Just never heard of it. So here I go. Six hour drive from Navarre. No big deal. You know, Susie, I love the drive. You love, I do that PA to Florida drive all the time. Six hours. <laughs> is nothing. So I come on the islands six hours later. The first place, the first thing I do was stop at this place called Driftwood Beach. And I walk this path for two minutes and I'm walking going, God, where? I'm like, I have chills talking about it. Where am I? Like, where? I feel like this, I'm in like uh, the yellow brick road or, or, you know, Willy Wonka is going to jump out with chocolate, something. And it's, I'm in this bubble, like of goodness. Like I felt good. Like 
you know, when you feel like you're, you know, you're supposed to be at a certain place at a certain time. That's yeah. what I felt like. Wow. So this place opened up to a beach with huge live oak trees that have been laying on this beach for hundreds of years, just making these beautiful formations with God's hand. Like, that's all I can explain to. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm moving here. <laughs> that's all I said to myself. I'm like, I'm moving here. I'm literally moving here. Wow. So that was that was Friday. I came in. Friday night was a rehearsal. Saturday was the wedding. Um, I was there till Monday. I put up a post. And I'm, I mean, I, I, shared the, I just shared the memory in October of me standing on that Driftwood Beach. When I shared that post, my girlfriend Carla goes, hello, I live on Amelia Island right near the Ritz. Is that where you're shooting the wedding? I'm like, yeah, because I've lived here for 25 years. I haven't seen you in 10. Come to my house right now. She lives on the beach. <laughs> so I go to my house. I hug her. I, I've known her family since I was 17. Um, oh my God, you live on the beach. How are you? Oh my God, you live on the beach. This is beautiful. Oh my God, where am I? I'm like, Carla. She goes, you're moving here. She goes, the same thing happened to me 30 years ago. <sighs> Because I came here for vacation and they moved here. I'm like, what? Oh my God. So Saturday, it just so happened, shot the wedding at the Ritz Carlton where I work. And I've been there for six years now um, because a month after that wedding, they offered me a job to be their house photographer there. Now, how did that happen? So I you moved? Going, how quickly so did I, you move? I, moved? I moved October was the wedding that I shot at the Ritz Carlton. I was here by December 5th. It took me two months to move from Navarre Beach to here. So that was, I didn't had I had no fear. I had no fear to move here at all. I had no fear. Carl, I was living at Carla's. I was living on the beach. She gave me a great deal to just rent out a portion of her house. Um, I, about, let's say about a month later is when I saw the post for the Ritz Carlton and I applied and they offered me a position and I'm like, uh, I've never, I don't, I've only worked for myself for photography. I don't, what am I doing? <laughs> Can you like, even you, imagine this, this simplicity of this event that this no. worked out? No. Oh my God. So what do you, what did Not they tell you they wanted to do? What was the job description? To be a creative director of the photography concierge at, at the Ritz Carlton. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> What is that? He goes, you come and take pictures and you sell them to our the guests that you take the pictures of. I'm like, what? That's a job? Like, that can be a job? What I love to do? Okay, because I've been doing this for years now on my own, um, struggling paycheck to paycheck. And here I am, you're offering me this position, which is a dream job. Like, I screamed. I had a meeting in Miami with the owners about a week after I applied. I flew in for that meeting because they were like, we can do a Zoom call just like you and I are. He's like, I'll, I said, I'll do one better. I'm going to fly down there. I have my girlfriend that lives there, Cheryl Strauss. You know her. She lives in Miami. So he, we met at a Starbucks. He was wearing khakis and flip-flops, and I was wearing a dress and flip-flops. It was very casual, and he offered me the position on the spot. He goes, I want to talk to the other owner. He's like, but I really want you. I'm like, why? I said, you need to tell me why. He goes, I felt so personal with you before you even sat down. He goes, and that's what half of photography is about. Being personal with your clients, not trying to sell them. It's not about that. You don't have to sell your work. Your work sells itself. 
you know, so that's what kind of right, right after that, I was like, I am where I need to be. This is insanely amazing. Not knowing that when I went on the interview to, to be, it was assistant creative director interview. I was interviewing with the creative director, not knowing that she actually wanted me to go into her position two months later. And that's why she was hiring somebody to be an assistant, but she was looking for her. I didn't even know this at the time. Mm. So all these, for some reason, it's like, you know, people upstairs are throwing bones, my sister, my brother, you know, just throwing bones left and right. And it was amazing. Everything to me is a sign. Um, And after that, it's just, I've been there for about six years. Yeah. February 1st will be six years that I've been at the Ritz Carlton. I'm the last one one left. I'm the veteran. Everybody else has the revolving door has gone and it's what photographers do. They, you know, you know, they either, they were there to work part-time because they're going to school full-time or, you know, they moved or they, now they have their own business, blah, blah. I won't leave. It's two miles from my house. It doesn't get any better than that. No. And the <laughs> photography, what you're able to do there. The, the property is amazing. The That's pro- what I fell in love with when I shot the wedding. Property is amazing. It's I, beautiful. I, I'm speechless with looking at your work. So can you yeah. describe what a classic photo shoot is like for you? Because what I see you posting, sometimes there's horses, there's sunsets, there's bare feet, there's beautiful flowing dresses, there's people who are so freaking happy. <laughs> Explain a little bit how it all works. Um, I, again, you have to be personable with your people. And that's we talk for a good five minutes before I start shooting. How are you? Where are you from? Blah, blah, blah. I even tell my story. Like I have, I have a rescue horse on the Island. If they have little kids, like I, I try to connect with everybody to make them feel comfortable because people get in front of a camera and they just think that they're supposed to pose and smile. It's not what it's all about. It's I want you guys to look at each other, love, love up on each other, look at each other and laugh, have fun with it. Go spend time on the beach, kicking the water with your kids. Cause those are the moments I want to capture. I don't want to say, yes. Do I do posy? Everybody wants that pose photo. Everybody's looking forward and smiling and getting tight. No big deal. But everything else that follows that is a story. So I'm, I'm basically a storyteller. And I try to do the story from beginning to end. We started here. We ended here. But look, you can see the transition between everybody and how they get more comfortable in between the shoot. So that's what we call lifestyle story, storytelling. And that's what we do at the Ritz-Carlton. Wow. What's your yeah. favorite time of day to shoot and why? Well, that's a tricky one only because Amelia Island, which is, I will tell you, is an island of goodness. It's a bubble of goodness, and it still is in my heart and always will be. The island is about 14 miles long, three, two to three miles wide in certain parts. Um, so sunrise is spectacular. It's right here. If you didn't know, I'm right on, I live on the beach, too, by the way. Of course, of course you do. <laughs> of course I do. But for a good price, so and that's why. But I'm, the sun's it, the sun comes up right here, and it's of course it sets on the other side of the island, but it's so thin that you still get the colors on our side of the island. Wow. So both sunrise and sunset are my favorite, but I am very partial. I'm more lean towards the sunrise. It's more it's more spectacular to me. I don't know why. I mean, probably because it's right here. I walk out and I go, hmm, very nice this morning. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that sunrise today. Um. It's, yeah, it's amazing. I can't, 
I would say the last, I would do everything I've ever done in my life all over again. If you put me right back in the spot in this moment, wow. I would do it all over again. Even the divorces, Leah, everything. That's an amazing insight. Um, tell me about this rescue horse. Who is this? Oh, you, his name's Yulinawa, which means turtle in Cherokee. Um, and he was a rescue found in Callahan. He was like two, 300 pounds underweight. And we took him off the property with the sheriff because he was not being, not being fed. He was malnutrition. So I was like, I want a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and the only way, and this goes with everything else about this Island. You look at Amelia Island, people say, Oh, there's a Ritz Carlton. There's an Omni. A lot of rich people live there. You really don't. You, I, I have a lot of jobs on the Island for a reason, but even having a horse on the Island, you have to be like, it's almost like you've, I found these people like Carlos who own, owns the barn. He only charges $200 a month to board a horse. That's unheard of, mm-hmm. but a lot of things are old school here. So I want, I, I love the old school back in the day kind of feel. And that's this Island still has it for somebody to charge $200 a month for boarding for self-care barn. That's the only reason why I could have a horse. Wow. So I'm very happy that I do. He's amazing. Yeah. Wow. He's about to- he is about to go to a new home for when I travel so he can be taken care of when I'm not home, but it's only five miles, five miles away. <laughs> so everything's I'm five miles from everywhere. Wow. Your story is so interesting, but again, what really brings it all together is that you, you are trusting your not really, well, it could be intuition, but I guess what I'm thinking about is you're noticing how you're thinking and feeling mm-hmm. even when you don't have any details about what yeah. might happen. Like yeah. you're not stopping there. You're not letting the unknown, the lack of certainty, the lack of detail get in your way. And by having that freedom, that trust, would you say it's more a trust that you know how to make it work or it's a trust that the universe will take care of like, the universe, the, whatever the universe is gonna, even if it's good or bad. It's still something that's supposed to happen because you cannot have the bad without the good. Never. That's true. They're always always like this. So even though that bad stuff, like, you know, there have been one or two times where, you know, bad relationship put me in the spin of, you know, should I leave the Island? Should I move back or even move somewhere else? Because that relationship was that bad for a couple of years here, but I got through that. And I got through that with the people on this island. Mm. And these people are amazing. The friends I made on the island, core friends, very small, just amazing. But the one thing when I moved here, I told myself, I'm not going to run anymore. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop and do everything for me because I've never done that in my life. I've always done it for everybody else. Not that that's a bad thing. It's just how I'm built. But for me to stop running and, you know, Back in PA, I was always here, there, and everywhere. I was on all these events and going away for the weekends and this and that. I work five jobs now, and I love it. And I I have more time now than I did at my 9 to 5 Monday through Wednesday or Monday through Friday. And what's the difference? Why are you able to be that productive and inspired at work but feel like you have more time than ever before? Because it's not – to me, I feel like eight hours, 40 hours a week, 9 to 5 – I don't have those little breaks. Like today, I worked a little bit this morning. I'll work a little bit after you and I are finished. I'll probably work at three o'clock after I feed. And that's three hours worth of work. But I got 
stuff done for three jobs. Hmm. It's very minimal, but I'm making more money doing it. That's amazing. I never thought I could, you know, there's, who was it? Um, I did a job for Tesla a couple of years ago in San Francisco. These are things that just fall into my lap that I, I'm very blessed. And I think that's what pushes me. I never knew I could make 800 bucks an hour. I never thought I could do that in my life, but there I was. <laughs> like, who am I? And I don't, I'm an open book, Susie. I have no shame. I'm like, who, who am I? I pat myself on the back and pinch myself. Like, who am I? And it's, I, that gives me more incentive to move forward. You know, now I work for the newspaper on the island because somebody asked me if I wanted that job. Oh my God. Yes, please. For a magazine publication. Of course. Oh, and I love amazing. it. So and you have a, the community has been something you couldn't have even anticipated. Never. And this Never. guideline that you, this guidance for yourself um, to, to Never. stop Never. running around, to relax and slow down has been a gift that you gave yourself. What it sounds I never, like. I never even thought that was possible. I never thought that um, I could actually do all this for myself. But it's, I, I really feel like it's been given to me because even though I was happy growing up, I had a lot of struggles. And I think that this is the goodness that's being thrown back at me. And if I do good with it, then we'll stay stable, and I'll be happy from here on out. Does that make any sense? It makes sense to you. And this is a belief, right? It doesn't matter if it makes sense to me or not. Like it does make sense, but it doesn't really matter because you believe it and it's your beliefs that are guiding you right now and helping you create this life. And I know one thing that's really important for you is that you live for yourself, that you believe in yourself and you give, right? So yeah. you've been able to, you've been able to make that shift. And again, it's so hard for, for so many women who have not been putting themselves first for decades because it feels selfish, but it doesn't have to be. Mm -mm. I, I, I made the right decision doing that on my own. And not that I've never done things on my own, but it, it was the first time I did it for me. And that's, it's actually sad at the same time that that's at the age of 48 is yeah. 49. Something I did for myself for the first time. And, but I always got pleasure putting everybody else first to begin with anyway. Yeah. You know, there's times where, you know, my second marriage, you know, there was my, my after my sister passed away, um, there were things that I was like, okay, well that happened and it is what it is. You know, my husband did not go to my sister's funeral because he felt like he didn't need to be there. Wow. But okay, whatever. Like that's something you don't put off, but how I am. Um, and I'm not going to do that ever again. You know, it's my feelings matter. And I never thought of them as much as I do since I've been here. And it's because you've given yourself, you've given yourself time and space, yeah. right? Like yeah. the yeah, slowing exactly. down and being present yeah. is what has really given you that being yeah. present. Uh, it's, it's critical. And, uh, and I never... so many of us don't, uh, it's very easy to be very busy and superficial. Right. And I am busy here. I don't see people a lot, um, but I have slow months. Like this is my slow months that are coming into, um, into February. So now I get to start seeing people, but my friends are so supportive of it. They're just, I just, I really think, and I'm going to say it, you know, my mom, my brother, my sister, I mean, they were just like, boom, here you go. Have at it. This is the rest of your life. 
you know, I'm finally at the rest of my life, which is the, I can't believe I'm where I'm at sometimes. Yeah. It's, I, put myself, I put that long, I put that long post up the other day. And that's when you and I started talking again. Cause you're like, yeah. Well, do you <laughs> mind if I read that post? I have it handy. <laughs> yeah. It, it was just like you put, you put this post on Facebook and you were really feeling uh, you were really feeling it. So six years ago today, I moved to Amelia Island. A few months shy of six years ago, I accepted a position as the house photographer for the Ritz-Carlton. Five years ago, my photography business kicked into gear on the island. I still don't advertise word of mouth. Five years ago, I also rescued a horse. Four years ago, I also rescued my cat. Three years ago, this coming May, I moved from downtown to beachside with my job only two hours away. Two years ago, I started premiering at the Omni Resorts as well. Two years ago, I joined Amelia Forever to conserve and preserve remained untouched land on our island. Two years ago, this coming April, will be the time I contracted with the Courtyard and Stay Suites as their premier photographer on the island. One year ago, this past November, I started freelancing full-time as one of the photographers for the Amelia Island magazine. And as a few months ago, I now premiere at the Amelia Island Club. All of these things were not pursued or sought after. People came to me. And that says a lot about who I am. And I am ever grateful. It's a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot, but I still have time. It's a lot, but I still have time. And I think it's because this community is all about community. It's they're it's all about localized. Um, there's you know Santa every month during December for the Ritz and Long Point. They do a Santa, you know, sit with Santa and you take photos and it's it's beautiful. But the same day, you know, you're leaving that job and they're like, hey, can you come back in a week and do this for us and make you know we do headshots for thirty people at blah blah blah. And that's how it works. It's all word of mouth. Wow. It's just the people know you and the word gets around. I don't. Susie, I've never advertised here. That to me makes me feel so good. It's amazing. It's so So you. It's so you. You're living your best life. You know, I have one photography question for you before we close. Um, You really are gifted when it comes to nature photography. I love nature photography and I love your work. So for people taking beach photos Mm -hmm. and, you know, sunset and sunrise photos, can you give us one piece of advice for that type of photography? We all love that type of photography. Right. Anything sunrise and sunset. And I, I am that photographer that again, learned by her mistakes. I hate using a flash for any kind of sunrise sunset. You really don't have to. It's all about technically what you see in the camera. So if you think that you need to be at, 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 you know, to change your settings when it comes to sunrise or sunset, or you need to learn an auto Learn in auto. Go to the photo forums. Figure out exactly what settings you need for it. Um, anything F4 and above F4 and F8 in between there, which is an F-stop for your camera, that's going to expose a lot of things for you. In between there is where you're going to get your beautiful colors in the sunset, and you're not going to get that harsh light. Don't want anybody in the frame. It doesn't matter. Anywhere between 4 and 8, um, and just play with your ISO settings, which is your image um Image uh, ISO is image stabilizer overload. I call it that. <laughs> um, and then your shutter speed matters also. 
if you turned, if you have a tripod and you turn down your shutter speed, you're going to get more beautiful light. You're going to get more of the roundness of the sun that's coming up or down. Just, it's almost like the long exposure. And that's sort of what you want. If, if nobody's in front of your camera and you have that camera on a tripod and you turn down that shutter speed down to 10, 20, 30, um, it's, you're going to get that beautiful glow. So it's all about the settings coinciding with each other. Oh, so good. It's really, it's really only three different settings too. You know, the shutter speed is for quick or slow. So the lower the shutter speed number is slow and the higher the shutter speed is more fast for like sports. But again, the f-stop, that's going to be your more critical for exposure. And in between, you know, probably f7 or 8 would be great for the sunrise sunset. Um, and your ISO is going to determine how much light comes in and out. So that will be in the medium as well, like 400, 500, nothing big, nothing, you know, not low, not high, just somewhere in between. And you figure it so out good. by your mistakes. Yeah. So yeah, and I love that. Figure it out by your mistakes. Like really be present in the moment and yeah. reflect for sure. Yeah. You know, exactly. I also love just in wrapping up that you really do believe you're never too old. And I love the way you used that year when you were 48 as something that motivated <laughs> you and not something that held you back. Lily, thank you so much for sharing your story and for just showing up being you. And doing it anyway, even though you didn't have all the details and it wasn't certain and there was a whole bunch of stuff you didn't know how it was going to work out, but you did it anyway because you you love your passion. So good. I really think that if, if you push yourself, you will not fail. I really believe that. And I pushed myself and I'm an example of that. So absolutely. I mean, I had, I had $1,500 when I moved, so that's all I had in my pocket. Now I can, you know, I I bought we bought a sailboat. How exciting is that? <laughs> yeah. So I appreciate thank you having me on the show. Oh, uh, thank you so much. I love you, girl. Love you too. <laughs> Bye. Okay, that's it for this episode. Wasn't that fun to hear? There is just so much to Lily's story, so many critical pivot points to her ending up where she is today. But the one I keep coming back to was when she ended up at Amelia Island for the first time and felt the awe and wonder of the place. The way she kept saying, where am I? Where am I? <laughs> like it was almost too good to be true, too beautiful to be true. But she didn't stop there. She leaned into opportunities that started popping up almost immediately and listened carefully to what she was thinking about what she wanted, even though it involved big change, even though it involved a big move, even though it was scary, and even at her age. She said yes, she was open. She took a risk and she believed and trusted herself. It was the next best decision. She didn't have the whole plan. She didn't have everything all wrapped up in a bow. <laughs> she just took the next best decision. And that decision was the one that opened the door to incredible happiness and fulfillment. So good. And so glad you got to meet her today and hear this story. So I want to ask you, what are you taking from this experience? What's resonating with you? What would you have done? Would you have done what she did? Or would you have just packed up and gone and said, wow, that was a really pretty place? Would you have been able to listen to your thoughts about how amazing you thought that this new place was? Would you hear those thoughts? If not, why not? And more importantly, do you like your reasons? So what I'm getting at is like, could you really connect in the moment 
to what you were experiencing enough that you really understood, you were really aware of what you really wanted. More awareness and more trust are very, very good things. Okay, so as you know, the podcast is all about how to love your life again after 50. It's really all about coaching you to be more intentional and to incorporate mindfulness into your life as a regular practice. And mindfulness is the key ingredient to regret-proofing your life. This is how you put you on your agenda. This is how you embrace becoming more responsible for your emotional well-being. This is how you get clarity again for what you actually want so you don't have regrets. And this is how you become more intentional about the way you use your valuable time on this planet. As you know, my focus is your midlife coach is to help you get unstuck, clear, and excited about your life again. And like I always say, the path forward is to learn to think on purpose and take it one tiny but thoughtful step at a time. So ask yourself, are you ready to do this? Because if you are, I'm all in to help you. And if you're an entrepreneur and are finding your life just too darn busy, this is for you. Maybe you're finding it challenging to be gearing up when so many people in your life are gearing down. (laughs) This is for you. Seriously, if you're ready to change your life and learn the skills to unstick yourself with some masterful coaching, a top-notch curriculum, an infusion of creativity, and a warm, fun, and awesome community of like-minded women, let's talk about it. I would love to help you create your own blueprint for happiness. You can absolutely be more fulfilled than ever before. So email me your questions. I'm here for you. And let's talk about it. Go ahead and book your momentum call. Get on my calendar at www.womeninthemiddleacademy.com. For show notes and links, head over to www.susierosenstein.com and click the podcast tab and look for episode 293. And if you're interested in applying to be a guest on my new upcoming podcast, Women in the Middle Entrepreneurs, head over to www.midlifeinterviews.com and apply. Thanks so much for listening. It's time for you to put yourself first, one thought at a time. I'm Susie Rosenstein, and I'll talk to you next week.